Folks, JR, this episode of Fallen Badge, we're going to talk about the murder of Lieutenant Clarence Cox. It was May 12, 1981. Lieutenant Cox was working West Precinct. Now, he had just met up with a ward car in the area of Exchange and North Lauderdale. After speaking with the officers, they officers they drove off, and Lieutenant Cox he started cruising slowly through the Lauderdale courts. Now you may, some of you may have heard of that housing complex before. That's that's the one's famous for being the first residence where Elvis Presley and his parents stayed when they moved to Memphis. Now that complex is couple of blocks from 201 Poplar, which is the criminal justice center, and at that time, the communications was up on the 12th floor. So literally, if you'd been in communications that night, you could have looked out the windows and watched some of this transpire. Anyways, Lieutenant Cox is cruising through that complex. Now, they're looking for a fella named Leron Ronald Williams. Now, he was an escapee. He had cut a deal, took 10 years for murdering a prostitute in Nashville. Now, they sent him to the Memphis Correctional Center, which is out on Sycamore View Road in East Memphis, to serve his second-degree murder sentence and evidently he didn't find the accommodations to his liking so he escaped in april of 81 so memphis is out looking for him now somewhere in that complex and i'm sorry to say i cannot tell you exactly where can't seem to find out somewhere in that complex lieutenant cox runs up on williams now, Lieutenant Cox, he sees a male walking, so he stops him. Scene investigation would show later that the suspect had placed his hands on the trunk area of the lieutenant's car, which, of course, the theory being he put his hands on the trunk of the car because Lieutenant Cox told him to, because Lieutenant Cox is getting ready to pat him down. Now, Lieutenant Cox was no wallflower, in fact, he had been an amateur boxer in his day, and he was a stout man by anyone's estimation. But he had been suffering from a cold, and he was not feeling well, so he was not tip-top shape. The lieutenant didn't ask for any more cars. In fact, I, I don't know if the lieutenant even got on the radio or not. He may have. And anyways, he began his stop-and-frisk procedures without another car there. So the theory further goes that when Lieutenant Cox came up behind the, the male to pat him down, the male elbowed the lieutenant in the face. There apparently was some trauma to the lieutenant's face, nose area. Anyways... The male disarms the lieutenant and shoots the lieutenant to death. 
and then he takes off with the lieutenant's Model 10 38 caliber revolver. Now, crime scene technicians were able to lift almost perfect, perfect set of prints from the trunk area, and they confirmed that the man responsible for killing Lieutenant Cox was the escapee Williams. Now, there is a rumor that was substantiated later by an inmate named Roderick Elmore. Now, Elmore said that Williams was driven to Jackson, Tennessee by a girlfriend who obviously placed her undying love for Williams above the fact that he had now committed two murders. Now, Williams, he's not in Jackson more than a couple days. And by the way, if you're not familiar with Tennessee, Jackson's probably an hour, hour and 15 minutes down I-40 from Memphis. Well, within a couple of days of being there, he burglarizes St. Mary's Roman Catholic Church on the Highway 45 bypass. Now, it's just south of I-40, and I believe that is exit 80A. So while he's in there burglarizing the place, he decides that's not good enough, so he kills Father John J. Jackson, who's the assistant pastor at St. Mary's all the options he had, but he just had to kill a priest. So now he's got three murders to his credit. Well, he leaves the Catholic Church, and that's at, at night. The medical examiner thinks the father died somewhere around 8, 8.30 p.m. Now, Williams takes that pistol that's got two dead bodies on it now, and he sells it to a fella that owns a store there in Jackson. And the store owner only gives him half the money, says, I've got to check the serial number first, make sure it's all right, and then you come back and I'll give you the rest of the money. So Williams takes that bit of money, and you'd think he'd hightail it knowing what's going to happen when that serial number gets checked, but evidently Williams wasn't very intelligent. What he made him for an intelligence, uh, I guess, would have been just straight violence. Anyways, so the owner of that store, he calls Jackson PD, and they run the serial number, and of course it comes back a hit showing the pistol was taken from... Lieutenant Cox of the Memphis Police Department and Lieutenant Cox is dead. So Jackson PD, they catch Williams there at the hotel he's staying at. Now Williams is tried and convicted of murdering both Lieutenant Cox and Father Jay and he's sentenced to death. Now before the state of Tennessee can carry out the death sentence, which of course, as you know, would take 15 or 20 years. Well, the Karma bus made a stop at the Tennessee State Prison in Nashville on July 7, 1985. Williams was out in the exercise yard with the other death row inmates. Well, he made such an impression on them that eight of them jumped him. Eight death row inmates jumped him, and they beat him to death with fists, shod feet, 
and barbell weights. Now, there is another rumor that persists that uh, cartons of cigarettes were sent to the offending inmates on death row in Nashville, compliments of the Memphis Police Department. I obviously cannot verify that rumor. Sad state of affairs that a, someone of, of Williams's character or lack thereof could take the life of two good men. Now, I don't know anything about the female, the alleged prostitute in Nashville that he killed, but I don't imagine she deserved to die either. I wish I had more information on the actual stop and confrontation inside the Lauderdale courts. Obviously, Williams didn't give a statement regarding his interaction with Lieutenant Cox. But there's enough from the crime scene to indicate what I just told you is what happened. All right, folks, that's going to wrap up this episode. Wilson further advised that seven male blacks, all unidentified at this time, were found in the residence at 2239 Shannon. The writer was advised by Lieutenant Wilson that criminal intelligence was going to videotape the interior of the house prior to any processing done by crime scene or by our bureau. At 4.38 a.m., 1.1383, the writer and Lieutenant Wilson entered the residence with Dr. Harlan of the medical examiner's office so he could conduct a preliminary investigation of the seven male blacks found inside the residence. Dr. Harlan pronounced the seven male blacks dead at the scene at 4.40 a.m., stating he believed that all seven had been killed within the approximate, approximately last hour and were believed to be alive at the time of the assault. The residence at 2239 Shannon is a frame dwelling, three bedrooms, living room, dining room, kitchen, one bathroom with a large den on the rear or south side of the residence. Immediately upon entering the front door, the writer observed a pool of blood. In that pool of blood, the writer observed one broken watch. A portion of an MPD name emblem stating service since 1973. One black pin or strap for the name tag. Approximately one foot east of the puddle of blood, the investigator observed a second back from the name tag. And approximately 18 inches to the south of that puddle of blood, the investigator observed an MPD collar emblem. Approximately 24 inches southeast from the puddle of blood, investigator observed a powder blue spread tight comforter which was bundled up and did not have any noticeable blood on it. Approximately three and a half feet south of the puddle of blood, the investigator observed a broken watch band which apparently came from the watch found in the blood puddle of blood. Immediately adjacent, the broken watch band, the writers observed a south central bell telephone directory, 
which is coated in blood. Six inches east from the telephone directory, the writer observed one spent 223 M16 round. All these items were located immediately in front of a fireplace, which is located on the east wall of the living room. Immediately in front of the fireplace, the writer observed one cool filter king empty cigarette package, which had, it says it appears to be samples of blood. A police-type 8-inch slapper made of leather was observed also adjacent. Immediately in front of the fireplace and also appeared to have bloodstains. Several pieces of broken mirror were observed on the living room floor and were observed to come from mirrored panels which were located on the east wall of the living room above the fireplace. To the south fireplace, approximately one foot, the writer observed one four-inch circular keychain apparently of chrome construction, containing three keys. Adjacent to that ring, the writer observed a black trifold men's wallet. It is possibly belonging to one of the officers. The previously mentioned fireplace located on the east wall of the living room has a mantle which contains two brass bottle-type items, one on either side of a 16 by 20 inch picture of a male black and female black. Also located on the mantel was a one restaurant type sugar container. Also observed on the mantel were several pieces of broken mirror glass and one cool cigarette package which was wadded up and empty. The mirror tiles located above the mantel were arranged in a three-tall and five-wide pattern, a total of 15 mirror tiles. Three of the mirror tiles were observed to be broken, and accounting for the numerous pieces broken mirror glass on the floor of the living room. The writer observed blood that should be spatters. As you can see here, it's spelled splatters, and that's not correct. It's correct pronunciation and spelling is spatters. Observe blood spatters on the mirror tile above the mantel and on the east wall immediately north and to the left of the mirror tiles. One glass prism identified as coming from the chandelier hanging in the middle of the living room was also found on the mantel. Located on the east wall of the living room South of the fireplace, the writer observed a two-foot by three-foot wooden frame gold mirror, which was also observed to be broken, and pieces of that mirror were observed to be laying on the floor of the living room. Beneath that mirror on the east wall, immediately adjacent to the previously mentioned bifold, the writer observed one piece of decorative wall hanging in the shape of a leaf. Standing on the ornamental, the writer observed a yellow cylinder item, which apparently is a clothes hamper. Center of the living room is characterized by a hanging table, which is suspended from the ceiling and is round, approximately four feet in diameter. 
A chandelier with prisms and flame-shaped bulbs is hanging immediately above the table and does contain numerous prisms, several of which were observed to be missing. Located on the table, the writer observed a cow light, correction, a kale light is what it should be, believed to be a four-cell size D-battery kale light, that should be K-E-L, which was observed to be coated in blood, and it was of a police type. Also located on the table was one rifle-type scope, which also has blood stains and does not appear to be a police-type equipment. Located on the north edge of the table, the writer observed a MPD badge number 480, which is bloodstained and appears to have a fingerprint in the blood. A coffee cup containing what appears to be coffee is located on the table. A set of keys containing a Smith & Wesson handcuff key were also located on the table, may be the property of the officer. Two other coffee cups for empty and one glass and one Chefway 24-ounce salad oil empty, partially empty bottle. An ashtray containing ash residue was observed on the table and immediately beside the ashtray the writer observed what appears to be a marijuana roach. Several bloodstains were observed on that table. A 8-track should be tape and top of a coffee pot and a paperweight containing the initials of JBS were also located on the table. A quarter and two prisms Three prisms from the chandelier were also observed on that table. Located approximately six inches from the edge of the table, southwest from the table, the writer observed a MPD radio with the number 33 on the back, which was laying face down and did not contain a battery. Adjacent the radio, the writer observed another prism, and approximately two and a half feet west, the writer observed a blue big lighter, two ashtrays, and then whatever was there has been removed, so I don't know what it was he found. A second police-type kale light, which appeared to be a four-battery C-cell, was observed partially laying under a plastic notebook, brown in color, immediately west of the ashtray. Also located beside the police kale light, one tear gas canister. The previously mentioned notebook and kale light located immediately west of the table and approximately one foot from the edge of that table, the writer observed two puddles of blood, which appeared to be a large quantity of blood and one empty coffee cup laying in that blood. A second blue bick lighter was found adjacent to blood puddle. Moving northwest from the table, approximately four feet, the writer observed a second Motorola police radio containing the number 41A, appearing to be a North Precinct radio. That radio was laying face up and also appeared to be bloodstained. 
located on the north wall of the living room, the writer observed, after closing the front door, numerous, numerous bloodstains in the northeast corner of the bedroom and on the floor and walls of the inside of the door and on the left door facing. Now he's talking about the northeast bedroom. A beige love seat, a beige love seat type couch was located on the north wall immediately west of the front door of the right corner, the left side of the couch being coated in blood, and the carpet immediately beneath the couch was also observed to be covered in blood. The watch back, apparently from the previously mentioned watch, was found approximately six inches from the door facing of the front door. The workings of the watch were observed to be approximately three feet south from the door jamb and also appeared to be coated in blood, as was the backing. The writer observed a black leather police jacket laying on the love seat and observed numerous bloodstains on that coat. The curtains located on the front window immediately above the love seat were observed to be partially burned and torn, containing several holes. Immediately west of the couch in the northwest corner of the living room, the writer observed the three soft correction, three sofa pillows, one broken lamp, one partially overturned table, a fourth couch cushion located underneath that table, and a vase containing a plant. Three additional glass prisms coming from the chandelier were observed in that immediate area, and two of which were observed to be coated with blood. An overturned ashtray was also located immediately beneath the overturned table. Located on the west wall of the living room, the writer observed a full-size couch, which was partially, which was pulled partially from the wall. The curtains over the window on the west wall were observed to be, I think that's supposed to be to be in tatters, but torn, and the window were observed to be broken, four planes four panes of broken glass. I'm having a rough time, folks. Located on the south wall of the living room, the writer observed an apparent center of the wall, one partially overturned flower pot containing a plant and one gold ceramic wall hanging, similar to the type previously described. Immediately north of the wall, the writer observed three cassette tapes, two of which were Stevie Wonder songs in the Key of Life. And the third was no factory label, but plastic and boss label, Be a Happy Man. A round-type chair approximately four feet in diameter was located approximately 18 inches from the south wall of the living room. The writer observed several blood stains on the chair and one brown princess-type telephone, which was observed to be off the hook, both the receiver and the base being located on that chair. All right, folks, that's going to wrap up this episode here. That should have gotten us through the living room, I believe. And then next episodes, we'll go through the rest of the house. Folks, I hope you've enjoyed this episode and all the others. Pretty detailed description of the house. You can see it's pretty painstaking to 
subscribe everything that you see in front of you. All right, folks. I appreciate y'all. And as always, I will see you down the road.